The first Bible reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The next reading is Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, 
Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, The glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful that we can gather in your name. Uh, We thank you for gathering us here today. Uh, We are conscious that though it is warm, uh, we can gather here in person and online not only just to hear your word, but to encourage one another and to grow in our faith together, to grow in our love and service of you and to seek to honour you in all things. So we pray that that would be true of us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I have to tell you, it's been an absolute joy to go around and visit all the different uh, growth groups. And uh, thank you for having me. We've got some great leaders uh, in our growth groups and I've really enjoyed Um, the privilege of doing that. And it was an opportunity for me to just see what was happening um, and to hear uh, how people are going, how they're feeling, and all of those kind of things, as well as share a little bit about how we're going to do this, how we're going to reach this city for God. We came to Acts 18 and we thought about that together. 
And we really were encouraged, I believe, by God's word uh, by looking at the Apostle Paul's example to see how it is that we can be used in God's purposes and God's mission in partnership together. And uh, in Acts, what you're really conscious of is how, what partnership looks like. You see uh, little homes and little groups and small, thing, small things come together, but actually God uses them to do great things. And I think the encouragement for me uh, in coming to this series we've been looking at on life in the spirit has been to see that we have all everything that we need from God because the power of salvation, the gospel is the power of God for salvation with those who believe. And, uh, and, and so the encouragement um, that I want to give to you is that that is what we're looking to see among us. We're looking to see every single person in our congregation growing in their faith. And that bubbles over as we welcome in newcomers and as we reach out to our community. I'm excited that uh, Christmas is nearly here and you'll see we've got lots of opportunities this Christmas to gather and to to celebrate and to invite our friends and all of those kinds of things. Where We had our um, uh, partnership review meeting, parish council meeting on Thursday night, which was was just wonderful. And I think we were all really looking forward to Michael and Talia um, starting. It was so nice they've been able to move in and uh, looking at them starting and just thinking about um, the good things that God has ahead of us next year. Um, the excitement of, uh, of starting some new things and starting things, a few things afresh and doing it together. And so that was, that was really palpable in our, in our parish council review meeting and it was great to see the, the enthusiasm and the encouragement. I think everyone's conscious of uh, change and the challenges that we've faced this year and, uh, and you know, who, who could have predicted all of that when we began our great adventure? Um, I still feel very humbled that... Um, St. Peter's approached uh, me and uh, brothers and sisters at St. Martin's to join into a partnership. And so I just want to thank you all for your support and encouragement and uh, just um, your patience and perseverance. And I'm really excited to see what God will continue to do amongst us next year. Um, So, yeah, thanks very much to the wardens and the parish council. I can't tell you how much work that they've been doing this year. It's been a, a huge amount. And so Margaret and, uh, and Ira and Peter, you really are legends and uh, you, you're, you're a great asset to this church. And uh, yeah, we're really thankful for you and all that you do. I guess today is about encouraging about that great vision that we have. Uh, vision, sometimes people get excited about visions. I'm not interested in corporate visions. I'm interested in God's vision for us, um, in case you're wondering, uh, which is why it took us to Revelation 21. Uh, I'm keen for us to say, count me in. I'm keen for us to, to work together, to try new things, to get involved. And our forms will come out next Sunday for count me in, in paper and electronically. We're still getting those together um, to give you opportunities to serve and be involved in teams and all of the things we've begun to talk about. But I really want to set before you that great vision of God and... I, the reason I got Margaret to read the Deuteronomy reading is because, you know, the Bible's full of great vision. You don't need to come up with a corporate vision when you're a Christian because you've got the Bible and you've got Moses standing before the promised land, you know, and the land flowing with milk and honey. And he's standing there uh, with God's people. And it's been a tough journey. And he says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and you May love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life 
And he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And East Linfield definitely is, feels like the promised land, doesn't it? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magnificent and a beautiful place that God has blessed us with. But we have a greater promised land, don't we? Uh, there are many who are obsessed with land and property and all sorts of things around us. But we have a vision of the future, a heavenly vision. So my question today is, what does the future hold for us? What does the future hold? And uh, we're looking at Revelation. I want us to really be thinking about what, what can we see God doing in and amongst us in one year, two years, five years? What would we love to see? What would good look like in 10 years? Well, let's begin by imagining a perfect world. Can you imagine the last month of your life with no experience of suffering, no experience of pain, not just physical but emotional and mental as well? Can you imagine your body not being weak or frail or your friends or parents or loved ones? No, Steve, imagine your hamstrings work fine. You can jump up on that trailer and you're okay. <laughs> Is it possible to be in a world without pain and suffering? Is that really possible? I know there are a number here who have grieved, who have suffered, and faced many tough challenges this year. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world without pain, of rejection, of broken relationships, waking up knowing that you don't have to experience that anymore? When we look out into our world, we wonder if that is ever really possible. We see the virus and the hopes of a vaccine and all those kind of things. We see famine and war and disease. And we think, surely, it's just not possible. It seems too good to be true, the possibility of world without pain, without suffering. Surely a claim for an end to suffering must be very bold or at least very naive Yet we all long for that, don't we? It's deep in our soul. We long for an end to pain and suffering. Now, why is that? Well, I've got a quote for you there, which I've printed in the sheet by C.S. Lewis. The great C.S. Lewis says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Notice what he's saying. We all have different kinds of desires. And so C.S. Lewis suggests that ultimately our desires cannot be met in this world. And so he proposes that we and all of humanity are made for another world. And that ties into this grand vision of Revelation 21. It, it builds on all that we've seen in Romans 8, of course. Remember in Romans 8, we saw the Gospels, the power of God for salvation for all who believe, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that the Spirit testifies that we are God's children, that the Spirit's interceding for us in, with groans that words cannot express. And we know that God in all things works for the good of those who love him, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You see, we've been building up a picture of the love of God for us despite the the pains of childbirth that our world is in. 
And once we've established that the resurrection of Jesus is the thing, that means death no longer means despair. That suffering no longer has the last say. That there is a grand vision of heaven that we see in Revelation 21 that says we can now find that meaning and purpose and in Jesus. The new life he has won for us. I think that's why I said that used that famous quote in the in this uh, in the flyer. You don't realize God is all you need until God is all you have. And that's what this heavenly picture shows us. This vision of the future shows us how we navigate life now, knowing the future. It's why the longing for the end of the suffering is in every human being. It's rooted in our hearts. It's such a deep desire, and we're all seeking to solve this longing. Sometimes in helpful ways, and sometimes in destructive ways. Some turn to better education and advances in medicine to relieve pain and suffering, good and genuine things. Others turn to substances to dull the pain and the ache. We may have done that too. I've taken Panadol. It's a substance that I can take to dull the pain of a headache or a bad back. But then there are those who take stronger substances or get addicted to substances to continually dull the pain, and that's not good. Sometimes a good thing fulfills the desire for an end to pain and suffering in the immediate Sometimes if we take it too far or use it unwisely, it does very unhelpful things to us. I think we've all seen that. Sometimes we just remove ourselves from pain and suffering. We do this all the time. We do this almost instinctively. And why is that? Well, I want to to suggest, as C.S. Lewis has, I want to suggest it's because you and I were made for something beyond this world that we were made by a transcendent God and so we've been made for eternity. And what we long for is something beyond us. The Christian expectation, the Christian hope is that true human existence should be one without suffering. Now, I'm yet to meet many unbelievers who disagree with that, (laughs) well, at least in practice. Uh, While it mightn't be possible immediately for the children of God, the hope for an eternity without pain, without trials, where there's no longer death or mourning or dying, for the old order of things will have passed away. It's those wonderful words of hope in Revelation 21 that remind us that Jesus is coming back and he's going to bring us home. Now, this time of year is known as Advent. This, in the Anglican church calendar, is called Advent Sunday which means it's a new year, it's a fresh start. And Advent is really not so much a time to prepare for Christmas, it's actually a time to wake up and remember that Christ is coming back. All the old Advent hymns uh, tell us that, don't they? Come thou long-expected Jesus. It's a classic, isn't it? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. It's actually an Advent hymn, although we love to sing it at Christmas. It looks forward to that return of Christ. We're meant to reset our priorities. That's what Advent's for. We're meant to focus our attention on the future, on that vision of the kingdom of God, the joyful hope that Jesus is coming back, the return of Christ. Just have a look at those beautiful words with me, Revelation 21. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the dwell- God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's the new start, the fresh start we all long for. And if I could offer to you that this morning and you were guaranteed to have it, would you take it? I suspect you would. I think we all would. It's a future-oriented vision for us. People dwelling with God, everything made new, living with an intimacy with the Lord of the universe in the presence of the bridegroom, our King, our God. It's a wonderful picture. And Revelation finishes with Jesus' voice reassuring John and therefore John's hearers and therefore us that everything in it is true. The account from the one who is and who was and who is to come is trustworthy. Only a fool would ignore such a revelation. God has made himself very clear. Sometimes people ask, I wish I could know the future. Well, you can. One of the great truths of the Christian faith in the words of Francis Schaeffer that he is there and he is not silent. God not only exists, but he communicates with us in words that we can understand. But it almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Almost sounds, it almost seems, how could that possibly be, given what our experience of this world is like? How could it possibly be that good? In our present experience of the world, we see terrible pain. We see suffering in our daily... Ex- and, and, and here we are, we're actually quite immune from a lot of it living where we live, aren't we? <laughs> but there are many people for whom this, is, this experience of pain and suffering is terrible. The suffering of innocent people, of children, of the vulnerable. We see it in our world and we see it in our lives. And the reason... For that, as the Bible explains, is made clear that since Adam and Eve, in the beginning, that we as humans asserted our rights to decide good and evil for ourselves. We put ourselves in God's place. We rebelled against God. Instead of obeying his good, trustworthy word, we sought to fulfil our own longings in our own ways. So we brought the consequences of that rebellion on ourselves and on our world. We brought that evil and suffering on ourselves through our selfish choices And we live experiencing those terrible consequences. So is it possible for our current experiences of suffering to be changed to what we see here in Revelation 21? I want to suggest that Jesus' life, death and resurrection shows us two things. Two things. I've written them down there. I want to suggest Jesus' life, death and resurrection gives us an assurance of restoration to God. 
And secondly, the assistance in our sufferings now. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And time after time in the Gospels we read of his power to heal people. The blind man, the little girl, his friend Lazarus, back to life. Jesus had an incredible compassion for people. And you see in Jesus, as he proclaims the kingdom of God, he ushers in the new kingdom. He calls people to repent and believe. For the kingdom of God is near and he demonstrates very clearly by dealing with the impact of evil in the world. He restoring the created order. He relieves the suffering. It's because because of God's love of justice. God's righteousness, that at just the right time, he deals with it. He deals with it by going to the cross. He suffers that terrible death, that innocent suffering for you and me and all humanity. And his suffering is the way suffering and evil is defeated. He's the only God who's become a human being, faced the same temptations and sufferings that we face. So he understands what we go through personally. He understands suffering. I cannot root out the evil, the pain and the suffering in my life. I can't even do it in this world, but Jesus can and he has. And he offers that complete restoration and forgiveness because he has won the victory. He has power over evil. He has power over pain. He has power over suffering. And he offers it freely to you and to me. And that is a glorious assurance, restoration to God. That's the first thing. And secondly, he offers us assistance now. Assistance in our sufferings now. This is what our weary world longs for. This is what we proclaim at Christmas as we rejoice in the victory won. For those who come to Jesus, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, who comforts us in our suffering, as we've seen in Romans chapter 8, who reminds us of the great hope and assurance that one day we will see the Lord face to face, that he will be our God and we will be his people and we will dwell with him forever. There's a weird place in John 16 where Jesus is comforting his disciples on that night before he's going to die. And he says, A woman before she gives birth goes through great pain, but when the baby is born, joy for a child is brought into the world. So it is with you. In those days there were no epidurals. (laughs) Women would sometimes die in childbirth. The only way to give birth was to go into a tunnel of pain and danger. Jesus says that is what happens when he goes to the cross to bring new life. So here's how you develop hope and joy in the face of the suffering in our world. You look to Jesus and you say to him, you you went through that intense pain so I could experience new life. And that's how the love comes. We learn it from mums, don't we? From our mums. And that's how the Holy Spirit pours out the love in your heart. Don't say, okay, God, I'm waiting for it to happen. Come on, God, 
you know, and waiting for me, zap me, give it to me now. That's too abstract. That's not how it happens. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at where Jesus is bringing you, at the vision of heaven. Look at where you're going and what Jesus has done to bring you there. And Jesus says to you, I went through the ultimate suffering. I lost all that joy to bring you hope and joy. And that gives you a sense of just how loved you are and how you can face any circumstance in your life. And it's a wonderful assurance. And it's the only hope to deal with our longing, that deep desire in every one of us for the end of pain and suffering. And so we pray this Advent, come, Lord Jesus.